0: On this episode, we sit down with the Deputy Speaker of the House and senior Gerindra Party member Mr. Fadli Zahn, to discuss the anti-terrorism bill, the criminal code bill, the dire Rohingya situation in Myanmar, and of course, Prabowo Subianto's run for the presidency. Welcome to Indonesia In-Depth, and today we have a very important guest on today's episode. He is the Vice-Chairman of the Great Indonesia Movement Party, Garindra. and he is also the Deputy Speaker of the Indonesian Parliament, Mr. Fadli Zan. Fadli, thank you for being on this episode. Thank you very much, sir. For our listeners, I'd like to provide some background on the deputy speaker. Interestingly, you attended high school in Arizona in 1990. Uh, San Antonio. San Antonio. Texas, yeah. Oh, Texas. Yeah, yes, that was yeah. an interesting experience, I'm sure. Yeah, for exchange student and I graduated there. Oh, so you did graduate there. Yeah. Have you traveled back since yes. since then? You still have yes. friends Several
1: there? times and still keep in touch with my host brother there. That's great. Yeah, That's great. Who
0: works for the CNN, yeah. You later received your bachelor's in Russian studies from the University of Indonesia. Right. Uh, and then later, of course, your master's from the London School of Economics and Political Science. And then in 2007, you were one of the founders of the Gurindra Party. Yes. And you are also the most prominent and most outspoken member of the opposition in parliament. And you have, at times, been very critical of the Widodo administration. So you're very prominent, I would say, in the news, daily news reports. One point, uh, another point of interest, Deputy Speaker, is I heard you're an avid collector of stamps, postcards, and cris or ceremonial yes. knives, and that you're in the Indonesian World Records. Is that true? Yes. What's your most unique stamp or postcard?
1: Oh, many. <laughs> <Is> many, there, <laughs> many unique what's, what's
0: the oldest one, for example, do you have? Oh,
1: it's not about the, well, the oldest, but the complete one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I have uh, some records on the uh, stamps. I'm now actually the chairman of Indonesian Philatelic uh, Society. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... I also compete for the STEM exhibition and competition mm-hmm. around the world,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: in New York, in uh, Singapore, in China, and everywhere. So I have uh, two collection mm-hmm. with uh, large silver mail, and one gold. Yeah, for the postal st- uh, history during the Netherlands uh, East Indies, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Netherlands Indies and also the stationery and uh, postal history and also the complete set of the stamps during the Dutch colonials
0: as deputy speaker of the house uh, you play a very important role overseeing key commissions in parliament or key uh, areas in parliament one is foreign affairs defense right security and yes. intelligence intelligence and law law enforcement law yeah a- any yes. others
1: Home affairs and also land, Minister of Land Security, land, and also uh, legislative body and interparliamentary committee. Well, wow,
0: it's very very comprehensive. Yeah. It's, it, I think it's one of the most important positions. It covers all the key, yeah. uh, the key sectors. If I may, Mr. Deputy Speaker, I'd like to begin our discussion covering some key legislation that has been deliberated for quite some time in Parliament. Right. Earlier this year, several House bills received quite a bit of attention uh, and also some criticism by some law experts and civil society groups, both domestically and internationally. Two pieces of legislation that I'd like to discuss today, the anti-terrorism law and the new criminal code those two have received the most attention and i'd like to first maybe talk about the anti-terrorism legislation mm-hmm. and i'd like to also maybe provide some background for our listeners and then mm-hmm. maybe ask you a few questions global uh, terrorist sekarang ini kelihatannya juga
1: masih tetap apa masih tetap uh, sangat mengancam saya kira supaya peran ada yang saya selalu sebut preemptif jadi mereka punya kewenangan untuk melakukan penahanan bila diduga
0: that was the voice of the then Indonesian Coordinating Minister for Political, Legal, and Security Affairs, Luhut Penjaitan. He was commenting on the Anti-Terrorism Bill in 2017. He said, quote, There remains a global terrorist threat to Indonesia. The main role needed in this bill is a preventive aspect for law enforcement to detain individuals suspected of conducting terrorist activities for up to 60 days, end quote. The anti-terrorism bill has been deliberated in Parliament for a few years, a couple of years now. Yes. But it always seems to get stuck at the end of each session and eventually delayed. It's clear that it's an important bill for obvious reasons. It covers very uh, very sensitive aspects and requires long deliberations with many institutions and agencies. The government and Parliament say that they are now in the final stages of, of approving the bill to replace law number 15, 2003. But there are several key issues that need to be worked out particularly with regards to how long suspects can be detained without a court order and without legal representation. The other big issue is the role of the military in, in combating terrorism and also the definition of terrorism itself. Yes. Parliament members say that divisions within the government institutions have caused delays and uh, stopped the bill from moving forward. President Widodo says he hopes to have the bill passed very soon, but getting agreement on important details of the bill have been slow, particularly on things like legal definition of terrorism, and what the extent uh, the indigenous military can be used. I'm aware you have two stances: one as the deputy speaker overseeing uh, this bill, and then two also as the opposition. I think in this case, get your input on as deputy speaker. Uh, what is the current status of the anti-terrorism bill, and will it be passed okay. in the next session? So actually, I received the report from the
1: chair of the PANSUS of terrorism.
0: PANSUS is the acronym for the House Special Committee.
1: I think they're in the final stage, as you mentioned, in finalizing uh, this bill, anti-terrorism bill. There is some problem with definition, yes, because def- definition is the keyword word yeah, for uh, this bill. And if you have the wrong definition or maybe too wide or too narrow definition, and also uh, some implication to the rest of the bill, and I think that is uh, the problem. All the government's uh, institution that related to this anti-terrorism bill also has different op- opinion. So I think this is this been uh, quite some time they discussing about this definition, and also the most important thing is regarding the role of the military. Mm-hmm. In this bill, because from the police perspective and also from the military perspective, they have, you know, quite different angles. Uh, from the police perspective that this is the police job for the security, but from the military perspective, this is a threat to a nation. So the military should involve from the beginning, but from the police side, the military should be involved when they are asked, when the police needs an assistance. Mm-hmm. So, this is also uh, some problem in dealing with this because this has, uh, you know, very deep consequences also. Mm, absolutely. About the role of the military in dealing with this, you know. Because we already, since our law to separate military and the police, we have agreed that uh, military should be concentrated on the pertahanan outside so I'm, I'm, defense. Yep. But security, internal security should be police, internal affairs and security. So, so we don't want to mix this, uh, like in the past, that military also involved in this, met, in the matter of security. So the definition also is very important as an impli- uh, implication. This has implication to the role of the military and the police in this matter. And also the budget. Yeah. Absolutely. So we have to be careful. That's why the committee of this bill, uh, the special committee of anti-terrorism bill also reported to me that they are already in the final stage. and I think they have come to some, co- uh, conclusion on, in this matter. Uh, there's a way also they have discussed with this commander of the military and also chief of police. And the last one is about the, how long the, the person can be detained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without any assistance from the lawyer and something like that. But that's more easier. That's mm-hmm. easier. Much easier. So, uh, that is the state. But I believe that they are finalizing this. Maybe in the next se- session or two sessions from now, we can pass this bill.
0: I see. So, you think possibly by, by the end of this administration? I think so,
1: yeah. Okay, I think so.
0: We will pass this bill this year. And so you've been able to accommodate uh, some of the input from various civil society groups on the extension and also maybe on the weak monitoring mechanisms for the detention. Yes, uh, yes. I think the uh,
1: the committee, the special committee has also received some inputs about this, yeah. We don't want this bill later on becomes a tool from state or anyone uh, to use this as to mobilize political powers and
0: something like that. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. Abuse of power. And And will there be some mechanisms to prevent a creeping role of the military in law enforcement?
1: Well, not yet, (laughs) uh, honestly. So I think that's why uh, the committee has become very careful. Yeah, to tackle this issue because otherwise we don't want to go back to the past yeah that police is part of the military or also in abri or in ten yeah? e so it's separation of the civilian role and military role is very important. That's why they're a bit delay and late, uh, because discussing about certain sensitive issues.
0: So they'd rather be careful than, than rush, dr- rush yeah, things I think through. So, yeah. yeah,
1: because, and because we don't have any imminent threat through terrorism in the last two years. Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah.
0: And our listeners, I think, should be aware that the Indonesian military and police were under the same umbrella at one point up until what 1998 99 or 99 99 yeah so indonesia has had that history in the past where the the military and the police were partners yes
1: police is a part of military at the time so it's under
0: the military role update to the anti-terrorism bill this conversation took place prior to the terrorist prison riot in jakarta and the terrorist attacks in surabaya and riau since the attacks both the government and the house have said they will expedite deliberations on the anti-terrorism bill to provide law enforcement and the military with new powers to fight terrorism. The president, however, has said that the parliament needs to move quickly and pass the bill and has threatened to issue a presidential decree on anti-terrorism if the bill is not passed by this June. Deputy Speaker Fadli Zan has responded by stating that it was the government itself that has delayed the bill's progress, not the parliament. He also said that a decree is necessary under an emergency situation where there's a legal vacuum. However, the current 2003 law on criminal acts of terrorism still exists. Deliberations are ongoing since the House has returned from recess on May 17th. These uh, discussions betray strains of intolerance uh, seemingly alien to Indonesian culture that have made inroads here. The extremist views playing out in the political arena are deeply worrying, accompanied as they are by rising levels of incitement to discrimination, hatred or violence in various parts of the country, including Aceh. LGBTI Indonesians already face increasing stigma, threats and intimidation. That was the UN Human Rights Chief, Zid al-Hussein, discussing his view that intolerance is on the rise in Indonesia, and that the new criminal code as it stands would only lead to more discrimination. And the other bill, Mr. Deputy Speaker, if I may, mm-hmm. is the, um, the Indonesian Criminal Code. Mm-hmm. Still being deliberated, mm-hmm. but it has captured quite a bit of attention, both uh, from domestic and international audiences. Mm-hmm. The law dates back to the Dutch colonial era, I think back to 1918. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, so it's it's indeed outdated. Who is the initiator of this bill? Is it this bill has been there for
1: many years. Sometime it was uh, proposed by the parliament, sometimes by the government. Uh, but it's also very urgent to finalize this bill.
0: The government and parliament says that it's long overdue and need for a, a revamp, um, and that Indonesia needs its own criminal code that reflects its own values. Yes. And rather than have a leftover uh, law from the colonial era, uh, yes. era. In March this year, some of the articles of the bill were widely condemned by rights organizations saying that some key articles of the bill would criminalize uh, homosexuality or extramarital sex, criticism of the president, it would restrict freedom of the press, and would be a setback for Indonesian democracy. Offenders would receive five years in jail for sex outside of marriage, for example. Uh, several human rights organizations have condemned some of the proposed articles calling them uh, discriminatory. Other critics say the bill introduces some new crimes by expanding the three most problematic uh, provisions in the penal code, such as defamation, blasphemy, and morality. In addition, some legal experts say the country is already heading in the direction of over and that the current draft could make or would make uh, matters worse. Lawmakers and government officials, however, play down civil society concerns, saying that the new bill was principally meant to create order in society and should be by no means perceived as an attempt to encroach on individuals' privacy. Others say it's politicizing religion to win votes in the next election. So my question is, uh, Mr. Deputy Speaker, how has Parliament taken into account some of the public and civil society concerns when it comes to minority rights, such as LGBT community who feel that they're being uh, criminalized? Well, I
1: think uh, it is very important issues and also very sensitive issues for Indonesia with a very rich tradition and religious values. Religious means not only from Islam, even though Islam is a majority, the Muslim is a majority, but also richness in among other religions like uh, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, etc., So regarding this discussion on the criminal code within the Indonesian House of Representatives, I think regarding the values especially is very important. Uh, We have received so many inputs from all the religious leaders from all religions about this matter. And of course, we have to consider the state of Indonesian, you know, democracy and also uh, Indonesian civilization in this matter we acknowledge uh, of course that LGBTs are there and i think also respected as uh, a facts yeah but uh, when you put this to the criminal code i think we have to be careful i think also we cannot criminalize this because we have to see case by case what happened to this fact I mean either this is genetically or by association or other reason. But I think if I absorb the aspiration from the people... They, of course, acknowledge that LGBT uh, is there in Indonesia, but uh, they cannot be criminalized unless they campaign or even uh, promote or force the people to be LGBT, then maybe that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is, I think, the aspiration from many religious leaders who came to the parliament, also from civil society, and also some civil society try to acknowledge the LGBT in the criminal code. But. Now,
0: still in discussion. That was the Minister of Law and Human Rights, Yasona Lauli. He said, quote, Criticism of the government is needed, yes, but insulting the government or officials is a personal attack. This is different because they are state symbols
1: and about hate speech and uh, also defamation and also <coughs> blasphemy eh? yeah i think indonesia is already in the track of democracy we have experience and we practice democracy for 20 years since 1998 and freedom of expression is very important And also it's also acknowledged by our constitution on the article number 28 that it is the right of the people to express their views, their attitude, their opinions in front of public and also to associate and and so on. So I think uh, it is important uh, for the people to express their views and cannot be criminalized over the views. For example, now uh, they have this hashtag 2019, change the president. So Mm -hmm. that's part of the expression. But the government and also the provincial government, sometimes they are afraid of this hashtag. And even the president commented on this. But actually, this is nothing in democracy, you know. This is just a small freedom of expression. So you cannot criminalize this hashtag. And people who also wearing the t-shirt with this hashtag. Uh, written on the Mm -hmm. t-shirt and but last seven days uh, there's some discussion about this and also some people could not join for the car free day because wearing of this hashtag uh, t-shirt Mm. So this is uh, embarrassing, actually, for a country with the third largest democracy in the world.
0: For the Criminal Code, during the, the latest deliberations before the recess, I was told that the Criminal Code might have a exit clause for the, these three offenses of, of defamation, uh, morality, and, and blasphemy. But that they may go towards uh local government regulations rather than the national system. Is that is that true or is that still unclear? No, no.
1: It's just unclear, I think. Still in the So it's still in deliberation discussion. Yeah, it's in the deliberation. Because it is very difficult also if you just send this to the local government, it's very difficult and I think it can create also problems. Oh, yeah. So we have to discuss and uh, this in in the criminal code, in the, our law, in our bill. and then even though this is tough here, yeah, but I think we can manage, we can manage.
0: I, and I hope that this year also can be finished. So you think by the end of yeah. 2018 it could be it could be passed. I think so. One other point uh, that se- that received a lot of attention is the one of the articles I think said um providing sex education also some restrictions on decimating information on contraception. Is that still in the criminal code now in the, in the draft code now? Wouldn't this lead to, say, more sexually transmitted diseases, increased health costs? Where does it stand when it comes to contraception this, in the latest draft?
1: Well, I have to check because I, I don't know also all the details. Uh, but I think regulation or rules on this contraception, is, it's a very technical actually. So it, it has not to be in the laws, but maybe can uh, say it in generally, but it can be put in the ministerial Mm-hmm. Relation, something
0: I like see. Yeah. And then Jun, one last question on this criminal code. How do you respond to comments that this criminal code is leading to over-criminalization? According to one uh, legal expert, Rizki Akbari, who was on a uh, Talking Indonesia podcast recently, says that uh, in 16 years after Reformasi, there is now 1,601 criminal offenses And so that would mean, originally there was 885, and then they added 616 since then. Is Indonesia leading towards over-criminalization? Yeah, I think to some extent I agree with that point of view. Over-criminalization,
1: even for some Twitter and Facebook users, yeah, because of the law on ITE, electronic transmission, I think we have to evaluate this regulation i agree that in the democratic country you should not over criminalize people for expression for choosing the way of life and also for religious freedom and as long as still in the corridor of value in that society you know how do you measure that well of course we have to bring all these stakeholders to discussion and then we discuss openly mm-hmm. what happened that we have to engage this we cannot avoid this you know because for example about the blasphemy, the defamation and morality is something that we can also discuss and people also don't want this to be over criminalized because everyone can also be criminalized because of this. saya dan seluruh rakyat Indonesia. Kita menyesalkan aksi kekerasan yang terjadi di Rakhine State, Myanmar. Perlu sebuah aksi nyata, bukan hanya pernyataan kecaman-kecaman. Dan pemerintah berkomitmen terus untuk membantu mengatasi krisis kemanusiaan, bersinergi dengan kekuatan masyarakat sipil di Indonesia dan juga masyarakat internasional.
0: That was the voice of President Widodo, who said, quote, I along with all the Indonesian people. Deplore the violence occurring in the Rakhine State in Myanmar. What's needed is real action, not just statements of condemnation. Our government is committed to assisting with ending the humanitarian crisis by collaborating civil society power in Indonesia with the international community. Switching to foreign affairs, Mr. Deputy Speaker, earlier this year you met with the former UN chief, Kofi Annan. Yes. And discussed the latest situation in Myanmar's northern Rakhine state and also the dire situation in the refugee camps in neighboring Bangladesh. There are more than 700,000 who have become refugees and countless have been killed in the violence. The military and some Buddhist groups have been accused of ethnic cleansing, rape and murder of the Rohingya Muslims. Uh, you have visited Cox Bazaar yourself, which is just across the border from uh, mm-hmm. Myanmar. Right. Uh, Mr. Anand says he hopes that Indonesia could share its experiences and lessons learned right. with its transition to democracy and hopefully you could share that with the mili- Myanmar military. Right. What specific role do you think Indonesia could play in resolving the Rohingya crisis? Well, actually,
1: Indonesian government should play a much better role in this case, yeah. Because Indonesia is the founder of ASEAN. Indonesia is the biggest country in term of population in the Southeast Asia. And we are also the leader in ASEAN. Uh, so we have to uh, engage uh, this issue within the ASEAN framework. We don't want Myanmar to use ASEAN as the safe house to avoid the international uh, community. Regarding the crime, the crime that that's been that is happening in the Rakhine state towards the Rohingyas, yeah, and I think we have not played that role yet, yeah, and I think Indonesian government just use a minimum diplomacy in this matter, so we have to push the Myanmar government to obey the international community and to repatriate the refugees back to the Rakhine state. And we have seen this as a genocide and also ethnic cleansing, systematic ethnic cleansing, as also the Secretary General of the United Nations uh, mentioned. And without the involvement of ASEAN that we also agreed on this matter to Myanmar's government, I think it's very difficult. Because, uh, we have this base, the principle, consensus-based principle in ASEAN, Mm non-interference, and I think it's now become a stumbling block for other ASEAN countries, including Indonesia, to involve in this topic, in this matter. Last year, I was the head of delegation to Indonesian Parliament, of the Indonesian Parliament, to the AIPA meeting, the 40th AIPA meeting in the Philippines. And we proposed a draft resolution on the Rohingyas. And in the executive committee meeting, the leader of the Myanmar parliament uh, rejected this idea. And because of the rejection and the consensus-based principle, then we could not even talk about this in the ASEAN parliament. And that's why I was protesting this matter. And I said, then we have to drop all the political matters because Indonesia we don't want to discuss uh, uh, political matters without discussing about the Rohingyas because this is uh, in front of our door, this is in our territory, and we cannot just uh, avoid uh, that is not happening. So and then so it was like more than five to six hours debate on the executive. I think the first time. And then there was a uh, eight resolution, uh, Rohingya is number eight. And then I reject all the seven. Uh, so the for for the first time in AIPA, there was no political matters uh, resolution. But in our uh, joint communiqué, we put all these Rohingya case also in Indonesian proposals, and then it was put uh, in the joint communiqué. Uh, so it is, I think this is a problem. Because I've visited the uh, Cox's bazaar more than 1 million people actually there. Because uh, 500,000 people in the first stage of the influx. And then 500,000 after uh, August 2016. yeah, uh, August 2017, I mean. Just two days after Kofi Annan conveyed his report to the Myanmar government. At that time, according to Kofi Annan, they actually... Agree, yeah, and also accept the recommendation. But then two days after that, uh, you know, this tragedy happened, and you know, more than five hundred thousand now, and even still happening now. We became a refuge in Cox's Bazar, and many people killed. And I heard also testimonials from the victims in Cox's bazar uh many women were raped and also the husband were killed yeah by the myanmar military forces mm-hmm. so i think this is uh, one of the biggest tra- tragedy in the last maybe 10 years yeah after the killings in bosnia the sabrenica and also in that region but the rohingya case from what I've seen, uh, it's a fast-growing uh, refugee tent in the world, in yeah, uh, the absolutely. planet, actually. Yeah, yeah. So
0: terrible situation.
1: I agree with Kofi Annan that Indonesia should play a role, especially the president, and also the actions of military. Uh, maybe visit, uh, and also because they are in transition, so maybe it's very difficult for mm-hmm. the military mm-hmm. to accept democracy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but in Indonesia, we have succeeded, yeah, in putting them in the right position. Mm-hmm.
0: As one of the leaders of the opposition, from that perspective, yes. how do you view the Widodo administration of handling the Rohingya situation in Myanmar?
1: Well, in the beginning, it looks uh, quite active, but it's not effective at all. So it's just a uh, photo ops, I think, yeah. And, uh, he has not played, uh, strong enough. And maybe he doesn't understand also the importance of this case. Yeah. For Indonesia, for ASEAN. Yeah. Has he visited Benmore? He visited Cox's Bazar also. He uh, has? Yes. Last February. I visited last
0: December. You think it's, um, the Widodo government's efforts have been far below what's needed and in, in the attention yes, is far, particularly far for, below. for Indonesia's role. Far in below.
1: Yeah, because Indonesia was quite active in the past, even during Suharto time, we were active in you know uh, promoting peace in in Mindanao, for example. Mm -hmm. There's a joint observer. Uh, I was there also at that time in the mid 90s uh, during the negotiation between the MNLF, Moro National Liberation Front, and the Armed Forces of the Philippines, and we were quite active also in Cambodia. There was uh, Jakarta Informal Meeting One, Jakarta Informal Meeting Two, that led to the Paris Accord in 1990s at least. Uh, so, I think this administration has not played strong role in the uh, diplomacy, even in the region.
0: Yeah, I think Indonesia could play a, you know, a stronger role yeah. in the region with its size and with with its long history exactly. of, of involvement in uh, yeah, exactly. in ASEAN. Yeah. That was retired Lieutenant General and Chairman of the Gerindra Party, Prabowo Subianto, speaking on April 11th this year at the party's national coordinating meeting. He said, quote, If the Gurindra party orders me to become a candidate in the next presidential election, I am prepared to carry this out, end quote. Uh, And then finally, from the perspective of, again, opposition leader, the Gurindra National Coordinating Meeting, or RAKONAS, on April 11th, Chairman Prabhu Subianto stated that he is ready to serve as the Gurindra presidential candidate if the party indeed uh, tasks him with such a role. This was a little bit shy of actual declaration of his candidacy, I guess you could say. So my question is, will pa- Prabowo announce that he'll be running for president in next year's elections? So actually, Pak uh from the Rakornas
1: April 11, already stated that he would run for the presidency. Of course, uh, there's an internal process that he has to follow. And from Gerindra, internal process is Rakornas. ...and that we change it to Rapimnas, the leadership council meeting. And from that leadership council meeting, all the provincial leaders already stated... ...that they propose Pak Prabowo to become the candidate from Gerindra party as a president. And then he has accepted. So actually, it's already declared that Pak Prabowo is going to run for a president. But of course, we have to talk to other political parties to make a coalition with the PKS, with PAN, yeah, to form a strong coalition. And I think this is still in the process. I see.
0: Yeah. So still building the coalition. Yes. And also outreaching to PAN and other parties. Exactly. The Democrats as well. Yes, of course, Democrats. All the parties that have
1: not been deciding to support uh, Jokowi. That was
0: the voice of President Widodo on the Najwa Shihab TV show responding to the question on whether or not he is open to having the opposition leader Prabowo Subianto as his vice presidential running mate in 2019. The president said in politics, anything is possible, and all options are on the table. If something like this is good for the country, why not? And then finally, uh, how do you view the comments made by President Widodo on the uh, Najwa Shihab TV show stating that uh, the president said he would be open to the idea of having Pop Prabowo as his vice presidential (laughs) candidate. That was on April 25th.
1: Well, actually, it was uh, an honor yeah, to have that uh, statement from the president. But of course, from our political side, uh, we want Prabowo to become the president, not the vice president. And we are very close in 2014 to reach that, yeah, uh, because it was not a landslide winning from the Jokowi side. So it was very small. Uh, winning. And I believe with the current situation, uh, with the economic situation, with the political situation, the people have shown, have seen that uh, this administration is incapable in dealing with many issues, uh, especially with economic issues. And uh, people still very difficult to get a job. Life is getting more difficult also. And all the prices has increased very high. For rice uh, for chabe and for electricity and even for fuel so all these difficulties because this administration has wrong uh, development strategy I think so it cannot create robust growth yeah it's a stagnation actually with only 5.0 growth in this uh, potential high higher growth and it not it, it cannot create uh, employment. So all this employment is because of informal employment. The measure of employment in Indonesia is when you have one hour work last week, in a week, only one hour job, then you are employed. Yeah, you are, yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's deceiving.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: So I believe that Prabowo has a very good chance to win the election next year. And I believe uh, we are going to have a new president in Indonesia.
0: Well, we'll keep an eye on, on the election. It's heating up very soon and very quickly. Yeah. So, Mr. Deputy Speaker, Fad Lizan, thank you for your time. And thank you, thank you thank very much, for being on this podcast. That concludes our episode for today. My name is Sean Corrigan. If you have any comments, questions, or criticism, please send us an email at info at com. That's info at depth one word, dot com. Thank you for listening.